Hey, we're finishing out a series today, but don't worry if this is your first time, uh, we'll get you right in. We've been walking through John 4 and this series called Lessons from the Well. We've been talking really about how Jesus is showing us through an encounter with a person that I guess you could say would be far from God in our world today and this parallel of his interaction with this woman at the well and how really we can springboard off that moment to learn some lessons for our own sharing opportunities when we're sharing Jesus with our neighbors, with our city. And uh, so to catch you up, we're not going to read all of John 4. We've been like growing in the amount of John 4 we're reading And if I read all of 4 through 42 today, we may be here all day with me just reading John 4. But let's capture it for those of you who John 4 is a new passage for. The Gospels give us some books, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four books written about the life of Jesus. And John is focused on how much Jesus loves us. And in this segment... Uh, it's saying that Jesus had to go to the city called Samaria. Now, for a Jew, that's not really true as in like he was going from one place to another and he had to go through this place. He was compulsive, by, led by the Holy Spirit to go through this place that most Jews would never go through. He crossed a barrier, if you would, socially, in order to have an interaction that is very intentional at a well with a gal who needed Jesus. And so he comes to this small Samaritan village and begins to interact with a woman who's coming out to draw water from a well. Begins just to have a dialogue with her and interact with her. She's surprised because Jews never talk to Samaritans. They have this religious difference of opinion as to who's closer to God. And so they're, they're just, she's like, what's going on here? And he's like, well, you know, I don't really need the water anyway. I want a drink because I'm thirsty and I'm tired. But, you know, the water I have will never leave you thirsty. And they start having this weird conversation until Jesus finds himself able to just say, uh, you, you know what? You're living this life that, you know, you've had five husbands. The one you're currently with is not your husband. And, uh, and she's like, What? You're a prophet or something. How do you know that? So she's a little stunned because he just called out her dirty laundry, right? And then she goes into this weird moment of conversation where she's like quoting the religious conversation headlines of the day. Maybe she opened her Twitter feed, just starts reading, you know, uh, Christianity Today highlights or something. But she's like, she's like, just starts quoting to him like these religious one-liners of the differences between Samaritans and Jews. And Jesus just keeps bringing her back to the good news of, of God's love for people, the good news of life eternally, good news until finally, where we landed last week, he finally in verse 26 says, I am the Messiah. I mean, how it's like I've tried to give you some hints I've tried to lead you to this conclusion. Let me just tell you, by the way, I am the Messiah. So it couldn't get more clear. And this woman has a cool reaction, and this is where we're going we're gonna to glean some lessons today from the well, starting in verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. So the disciples had gone to get food, it said earlier. So they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them, 
had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? They're thinking. The disciples asked each other. Uh, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will, get, you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. What a beautiful picture of how the gospel is transferred from one person to the next, to a whole city, ultimately, in this instance. Our big idea today is we help people experience Jesus. We help people experience Jesus. We have been sent to harvest where we did not plant. Isn't that interesting? Like, that Jesus just full on says, hey, you are sent to harvest where you did not plant. Laborers have labored, the work has been done, and we get this opportunity. The harvest is just always ripe, always plentiful. We can harvest. Our lives are designed... Just like Jesus, he came in human form. Our lives are designed the same where the nourishment, the fulfillment of life to the full is most clearly discovered when we're sharing Jesus with others, when we're doing the work of God in the world we live in. Introducing people to him is just fulfilling beyond what anything else could provide. The most powerful way for us to help others experience Jesus is first for us to get alone with him. And Jesus exemplifies, you know, he, he was alone at the well, but he was alone before that in prayer, right? He would often get away from his disciples to a lonely place, as it says, throughout the record of his life. And he would spend time just seeking the will of God to where he could have a moment where he felt he had to go through Samaria. That work in our world today looks like time reading the Bible, time in personal prayer. Seeking God. Time in conversation with others of the faith to encourage ourselves. And, and so maybe for you a place to start would be opening up version on your phone and downloading a devotional that you could daily get a reminder. Hey, 
here's a scripture and some thoughts on it that you could read and check off and develop a discipline of growing in your relationship with God. Maybe you're a paper-in-the-hand kind of person. Lots of people, I still need a book. i got to fill the paper. You know, so if that's you, um, then you would uh, go buy My Utmost for His Highest. It's a green devotional book. And read through the day. It's got a date on it and everything. Read through that, and boy, that is like meat to your soul if you've never done that before. I don't know what it would, would work for you, but that's just like we've got to find a way to spend time preparing our soul so we're ready for moments like what Jesus is calling his disciples to. We're challenged, you know, to build our relationship with Jesus and live this life of worship and, and like, Jesus said to her previously, and you could listen back in previous message archives from this series, that he's desiring these worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth. Like they're just going to worship out of the overflow of their relationship with God. And, and that's going to happen. Passionate people and people who have a passion for people come out of private time with God. So not every time, though, that you read the Bible and have an encounter with Jesus, like what this woman had an encounter with Jesus. Not every time are you going to jump up from your time of reading and run out into your neighborhood and start shouting, Jesus is the Savior, and lead all your neighbors that are mowing their lawns to Christ. That's not going to happen every time. In, in fact, I've never done that. Uh, you know, just like, that's, that's not happened to me. Um, but if we'll spend consistent time exposing ourselves to Jesus, we'll be ready when opportunities do present themselves. We'll be ready to speak into that person's life that we can just sense, man, they need a word of hope. I'm, I'm going to take that challenge of crazy 20 seconds of courage and walk across the room and, and encourage somebody because I feel like God's leading me to do that. You'll be ready for those. Jesus said to his disciples, a metaphor that made sense to them at the time, they were harvesters or fishers and they understood this language when he said the harvest is ripe or you say four months until the harvest he's using this language that they're like yeah of course it's four months until the harvest because we sowed the seed and now it's four months and so he's going no 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 the harvest is plentiful like ripe like always you guys are taking too much time you're uh you need to to be persistent. You're waiting too long. You're missing opportunities, he's saying, with this metaphor of the harvest and the, and the harvesters and, and their perspective needed to be transformed. So he's encouraging them. Man, you need more consistency. You need to be more active with your faith, guys, because it's ripe. Right now, the harvest is ripe. Instead of, maybe this looks like for us, instead of church once a month, it'd be church Every week. Maybe it's a new rhythm we have to discover to expose ourselves. But even more than that, it's not just growing in our faith on Sundays. It's growing our faith every day and being ready to serve every day with the gifts and passions God has given us. And how does he express this to his disciples? Wake up. Look around. Joy awaits you. Isn't that powerful? Wake up. Look around. Joy is waiting. If you'll just go out to the harvest and take advantage of the opportunities God gives you. Remember a couple weeks ago, 
We read Ephesians 2, and you could go read through that, but it says God's out there preparing works for us to do before we show up on the scene. So when we're saying, hey, wake up, look out, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, you know, go out there, let's, let's, let's get this joy through the nourishment of being active in our faith, is what he's saying is, uh, go out there, the work is already prepared for you, just waiting for you to show up on the scene. Wake up. Time to wake up. And so he's challenging his disciples with this, but this is what's really cool, is we can learn from this woman at the well. She's like the visible example of the lesson Jesus is sharing with his disciples right after he's interacted with her. And this interaction he has with his disciples when they come back and see him talking to her, and then she comes back with the whole town that she's shared with. We can see these lessons that occur in this scene, like she's the visual example to the lesson he's teaching his disciples to wake up and begin to be active. The harvest is ripe. Joy awaits. And so what lessons can we grab? We got really four, le- four thoughts for you today that we can learn from this woman. Observations, if you will. And the first one is she knew her neighbors. She knew her neighbors. Now, the story is very clear. She knew some of her neighbors really well. If you know what I'm saying like some of the husbands. <laughs> so that's no bueno. That's not the goal. Don't know your neighbor that good. Stick with the one that you're with, right? That's the goal. Uh, but she, she knew everybody else as well. Somehow she knew her neighbors because when she's leaving the scene here, when she's fleeing the scene, she's comfortable telling everybody. She's letting everybody know, I think I just had a conversation with the Messiah He knew everything I've ever done. That's what she had to go off of. That, and he did say, I'm the Messiah. That's a big clue, right? But anybody, any crazy guy could claim that. So she must have heard of the Messiah. Like, had been active, that somebody claiming to be the Messiah was active in the region or something. No way, after that interaction at the well, she just left going, sure, he said he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Because that'd be crazy. But she does. She's determined. And she goes out there, and she knew people couldn't wait for this news. She knew she had to go back and express this to everybody and share that she had just had this conversation with the Messiah. And, And I just, you know, she drops everything, and she goes. She couldn't wait. She left her jar at the well, she, it never says she got a drink. Her determination and, and like drive there reminds me of a few different scenes in, in the record of Scripture there in the Gospels. Reminds me of, of Peter's call. He was a fisherman and his brothers were fishermen. And it says when Jesus challenged them to come and follow me, they left their nets and boats right on the shore and followed him. Like they left everything to follow him in an instant. Or maybe Matthew, he was a tax collector and he was collecting taxes and Jesus walked up to him and said, come and follow me. Like that's all he had to go on. And he left his profession and followed Jesus. It reminds me of the 
shepherds, when they had an interaction with the angels saying this son of God has been born, and they show up and they see the baby Jesus, and then they go around Bethlehem telling everybody that the son of God has been born, and the angels told us. And, you know, it's that kind of passion that is happening here. Instead of just kind of saying, man, I, I'm so lucky I got to have a relationship with God. I'm so, so lucky that, like, I get this personal experience. Praise God. No, she shared it. She just, she knew her neighbors, and she knew her neighbors needed the same hope that she had just encountered. Now, I don't know if any of you know people who are like this. And the woman obviously had a deeper experience than this. But do any of you have either, like, children or you know someone that likes to know everything. Anybody know somebody who likes to know everything? Or maybe even if they know something, they like to be the first ones to share it. They're sharers. It's a positive way of saying it, right? Right? They're, they're just good sharers. Um, now, maybe in our home, I know a family. Let's see, how do you word this? They're, I, you know, I have a friend who has... Kids, maybe some twins, and they're around 14 right now. But anyway, they, you know, I know a guy who, who has girls that really do like to know everything. And uh, they like to read text messages on phones if they're showing up. So every once in a while, you can send a real juicy one just to get them to see if they're checking. Um, you, they like to know information. And this is what's cute. I mean, I really do get entertainment out of this. And, and I'll probably owe him money or something for sharing the story. Not that they're sitting in the front. Uh, but the, because it's a friend of mine. But anyway, there's, the, oftentimes we'll be coming home or they'll, they'll have experienced something at youth group or at a sleepover or wherever. And they'll have new information. They'll have an experience. And it's, it's been this way for years and years and years where there'll even be this little moment of urgency when we're approaching the house as to who gets to share the information, right? You know this happens in the car. I mean, you know the same family, right? Anyway, so uh, they, you know, they'll say, they'll say, I get to share it with mom. No, I get to share it. I'm going to be the first to share it. I'm going to be the first to share it. You're just about stopped in the driveway. They're out and in the garage, right? And they're battling. Who gets to share? Who gets to share? I want to tell her. And it's kind of funny to watch. It's hilarious. Now, here's the deal, though. It's crazy that they have that drive, but they're incredible confidants and secret keepers. I just don't understand how that exists in the same person. But they do love to know information, and they can figure things out before they're even told sometimes, right? And uh, they'll just guess it, uh, and, and they're right. So they're discerning, too. So it's really interesting and entertaining for us. But get this. That's just a tiny little level of drive compared to what this woman felt for her neighbors. And maybe what God wants us to feel for our neighbors. That like, I've got this news, I've got this news, I want to be first to tell them. Like, I get to share with them that there's hope for their situation. Like, I have to leave what I'm doing to tell them. I'm just like, God, can you give us that kind of passion for our city? 
Could you give us that kind of passion for every community around here? Can you give us that kind of passion for our neighbors, our family? Because for some reason, it's easy to sit on the news. Even though we know our neighbors need hope. The woman at the well was doing this exact thing to magnify Jesus to her neighbors. She had a passion for her neighbors. And there's a verse that Open Life was founded on, my life verse, that just sounds like this moment to me and will give us even additional fuel for our next points. But 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you'd become so dear to us. We need to know our neighbors. She knew her neighbors. They needed to know that Jesus, the Messiah, had shown up. God has given you unique opportunities because you live so near to people, even if you're on a farm. You still live close to people in America. We're not on a deserted island here by ourselves. There's people around us at all times. And we need to allow people to become dear to us, to just mess us up because we have hope for them. That we would be the first to tell them the good news. We need to stir the relational waters in the homes around us to the point where we're like, I can't wait to share good news with them in whatever situation they're facing. That we would do life together. Not just preach at them. Thought to, she opened her eyes. She opened her eyes. The very challenge Jesus gave his disciples to open their eyes. But she opened her eyes. The woman at the well was the demonstration for this lesson for Jesus again, right? Because she opened her eyes. She had a, an open mind for her city. She saw that her city needed this hope of Jesus. That she personally needed the hope of Jesus. But that she had something to pass on to them. Her eyes were open. And she somehow discerned that this was the Messiah in a pretty quick conversation. She saw what Jesus saw, that the harvest was plentiful. That's crazy. Ultimately, she knew that everyone was longing for joy, for hope, for redemption, for a Savior to come, the Messiah. And that's why Jesus said, yeah, you got it in that is the person you're talking to. I am the Messiah. She knew she could not keep this to herself and, and was, it was not a personal choice for her. And, and while I was prepping this, I just started thinking. When did faith become personal? When did faith become this personal thing? Like, oh, I had this encounter with the Messiah what a cool personal experience that I'm going to keep to myself and not tell anybody. It's never, where do you read that in scripture that somebody doesn't share? Even those told not to share, share. In the gospels, Jesus would tell people because he didn't want to be crucified before his time, he would tell people, yeah, you just received 
sight and or you can hear now you've been healed don't tell anybody and what would they do they'd go tell everybody but then somewhere along the course of history we landed at a place where we said faith is a personal thing and and I'm I don't want to mess with anybody else's personal space so I'm just not going to tell them the good news of Jesus I think maybe the enemy has sold us a bill of goods. <laughs> there is an adversary. There is somebody against, or an, an, an enemy. There is an enemy of Jesus in Satan. And he does not want you to know about Jesus or your neighbors to know about Jesus or the city to know about Jesus. And what a great way to convince people not to share Jesus with others than to convince them your faith is a personal thing. It's like, man, how did we fall for this? This gal didn't. She opened her eyes. And hopefully today, man, if, if the only thing you get out of this talk is that your eyes would be open to this reality that, oh, yeah, this was never intended to be a personal thing. I'm supposed to be able to Share this great news of hope with others. And in fact, that's the nourishment of my life. And the greatest source of joy that I could experience is by sharing Jesus. What a powerful thing. I don't know, but we need to overcome that. We need to open our eyes. We need to experience what she experienced. And uh, thought three, she told her story. This is one of those other things that, you know, the first talk was about our barriers and for us to discover our barriers in this city or in this series. And some of us just have personal barriers. Maybe we're introverted and not extroverted and it's harder for us to talk to people. Maybe we have social anxieties. Whatever it is, sometimes it's hard for us naturally to share our faith. And that's what's beautiful about the Bible is we're encouraged all throughout it that it's not our strength God is desiring us to do anything with of our faith. He wants us to use his strength. And in fact, the same strength that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us when we're sharing. So you get this reality of, man, she told her story. She shared the good news of Jesus. She shared the gospel and her life, just like 1 Thessalonians 2.8 spoke of. She spoke from her heart. She told about her personal encounter with Jesus. And she didn't make claims of being transformed. She didn't make claims of, I am a new person. I have been freed from my promiscuous ways. She just said, I think I just met the Messiah. He told me everything I've done. She didn't think, well, okay, I just met the Messiah. I'm going to go to a four-year Christian college. I'm going to learn how to tell somebody about this. I'm going to study it for four years. Then I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to Sunday school. I'm going to go to service. I'm going to go to small groups. After about five or ten years, I think I'll be at a place where then I can go and approach someone and tell them about Jesus. I mean, what another trick of the enemy that would be. No, she in her imperfection in the state of her sin, in the reality of adultery that she was living in, she's like, I just encountered the Messiah, the hope of the world, 
and you can too. That's the Jesus who loves us. We can't be good enough or perfect enough ever. In fact, it's like he's looking for the imperfections of our life to prove the power of his love. But the challenge is, do we know our story to even share how it intersects with Jesus? God can use your hopes, hurts, history to bring people who will only relate to your story specifically to know Jesus. Do you know how to share your story? A great way to figure out how to share your story is to hang out with other people who know Jesus and talk about what's going on in your world. I mean, it doesn't matter where, but just start to dialogue through, like, what is going on in your faith? Maybe you just started reading the Bible personally for the first time, and it doesn't make any sense. Share that with each other. And there's all kinds of venues you can do this. Invite somebody over for a meal and just have that conversation. Maybe you're going to have that conversation. You're going to get the kids together for a play date and just talk life. That's the doing life with one another factor in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, right? Maybe you're going to go see a crazy band in front of like a coffee shop and just talk for a couple hours while they're being silly and making music of some sort, right? And have fun. I don't know. Maybe you're going to enjoy uh, uh, kayaking or boating and, and just have a, a, a close environment where you're able to have real dialogue with each other. It's just these opportunities that present a great learning experience for us to discover, oh yeah, this is what Jesus is doing in my world, and I get to share this with others. If we could talk about our journey of faith with other people, we're going we're gonna to make a lasting impact in people's lives. And then finally, thought three, she asked her neighbors thoughtful questions that focused on Jesus. Like, consider the claims of Jesus, she says to her, her neighbor. Or, or think about his, his words and his, his works. You know, she's trying to get him to think, man, he told me everything I ever did. And, uh, and these, these realities, it's simple, but it encouraged people to kind of open their minds to maybe this is the Messiah. She was pondering his identity, which allowed them to ponder his identity. What if we asked our neighbors thoughtful questions? What if Jesus was interested in the needs of your neighbors? He is, by the way. Disclaimer, yeah. Spoiler alert. And uh, that you would be able to ask or be like that resource of clarity to your neighbors' lives. That you would begin to pray for their needs. And pray for them by name and need. Like that's our 2017 goal at Open Life in neighboring is that we would be able to, by the end of 2017, the eight homes that touch our home, whether it's suburbial kind of neighborhood, whether it's large plots of land, but if the, whatever homes are touching our home directly, what if we could pray for the people in those homes by name and need? What would it do in our community to send 400 plus people out there to be praying for others by name and need? To transform our community. Because we would be doing this. We would be the clarity. We'd be providing wisdom that can only come from God into their lives just by being a sounding board, by asking clarifying questions and making Jesus 
known. By any means, we need to see that our mission field is right around us and that we can share Jesus. So let's turn these discoveries that we can observe through this woman at the well into action point. The action point is to follow her lead. That's this week's action point. Follow her lead. And that's what the disciples were teaching. The disciples were teaching, or Jesus was teaching the disciples... Observe this. I know you have no idea why I was talking to her. You think she gave me some weird type of food that was nourishment, that, but I'm speaking metaphorically. And he's sharing with his disciples. Here's the story here. You got to get this. Follow her lead because she is farthest from me, but now she's sharing with her entire city. And watch what's going to happen in two days. They're going to make a decision to follow me and discover that I am the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That it doesn't matter who you are, you can share. So number one, underneath this action point, if we turn these into personals, is know your neighbors, right? The first point, she knew her neighbors. Well, our challenge is to know our neighbors. Our objective this year, again, is to know the eight neighbors around us. And I hope you're pursuing to get their names and their needs that you can begin to pray for them. Second, action there if we personalize it is open your eyes open your eyes maybe it's work in the lawn on weeding without headphones in be approachable uh maybe it's going to be sit on the front porch and not in the backyard more often or take a walk around the neighborhood with our eyes open and maybe pray god help me see what you see in this community jesus was so clear on this he sent his disciples out With open eyes constantly. And now he's still challenging them at this point. Open your eyes, disciples. The third thing is tell your story. You're the hero in the story. Of people in this city meeting Jesus. I love hearing people come through the door and saying, Hey, this this is my neighbor. This is my family member. Here's my other neighbor. Telling your story. Good work. Great job. You get it. Learn your story. Talk it out with others. Let it just come naturally. People don't want to be pitched or sold faith. They don't want to be your project. We want to be genuine. They want to be included, though. And if we don't share Jesus, we're excluding them from the hope that God has for them. So there's this sweet balance that we have to discover in the rhythm of our community to genuinely love our neighbor. Finally, ask your neighbors questions about Jesus that intersect with what's going on in their life. Be the clarity that they're desperate for. Speak hope into their world. The results of of someone's faith do not depend on you. God's at work right now, and he's doing the the behind-the-scenes work. But the task of sharing is our role. The task of asking clarifying questions is, man, have you ever thought about opening up scriptures and seeing how Jesus could speak hope into that? Or man, you've been sick for a while. Is it okay if I I pray for you? I just believe that God can touch you and and be praying for you. And who turns down prayer? I've had it happen. Not often. Right? But it's just like, what do we have to lose? Stop worrying about the results and just be obedient to share your faith. That's the challenge. The woman at the well. 
helps us ultimately land at. And I want to pray over your life. Two different things today. First, if you've yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, Jesus is constantly having this conversation with people and he wants that today. Man, if you haven't chose to follow him, make that choice. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I want to be that person that could go back to my neighborhood and share the hope and eternal life that is in the Son of God who came, who went to the cross for me, who died and rose again to overcome death, hell, and the grave so that I could live eternally through faith in Jesus. That would be the first decision that we want you to make. But the second one that I'm going to be praying over you is the courage to be a sharer. The courage to be that neighbor that can bring clarity to a scenario. The one that can walk out of here with open eyes into the community and see the opportunities presented to them in their neighborhood, in their city. God's got great things planned for you. And maybe it's just a greater sense of urgency. Instead of four months until harvest, we need to realize the harvest is plentiful right now. God, I thank you for everyone that could come today here in July. Beautiful outside. Thank you that summer kind of showed up here in the Northwest. And that we get to enjoy this amazing place that we live. And there's all kinds of people here you love thousands, tens of thousands that do not know you. And God, your desire is for us to be sharers of this great news that you sent your son to earth for us so that he could pay the price for our sins and we could be redeemed, saved, right as we are in the middle of it, the mess. And have a promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus. If there's someone here today that's yet to make that choice to follow you. Or maybe they've been so gone from the church for so long they forget how to enter into that relationship with you. I pray today would be their starting point. I pray right now they would choose to follow you and just simply say, Jesus, I want to confess that you're the Savior of the world. You are the Messiah and I want to begin to grow in a relationship with you that will both impact my life and those around me. God, I know that you have a ton of people here and a bunch that are traveling during the summer that you desire to be praying for their neighbors by name and need this year and beyond this year. And I just pray that, God, you will open our eyes in this room, every single one of us. You'll help us understand that it's not our own social ability, our extrovertedness or introvertedness, but it's your power that is at work within us to be the news bringers to our neighbors. The gospel means good news. And you didn't intend that news to be hoarded. But you want us to share it. Give it away. And watch people pursue the purpose you have for their life through you. So God, I pray you would awaken that ability within us to love our neighbors. That we would have open eyes, open hearts. That we would share the gospel in our life with people. And we would watch you do the rest. We give you praise for what you're stirring in and through us. In your name we pray. Amen.